episode of Noon, I'm excited to introduce you to Casey, a seasoned 911 paramedic with a lifelong passion for her work. Casey's dedication to the job, her enthusiasm for learning new skills and evidence-based practices, and her joy in teaching and mentoring new paramedics all shine through in her remarkable career. Join us for an insightful conversation as Casey shares her experiences, insights, and the evolving landscape of paramedicine. Let's get started. This episode is brought to you by the 505 Central Food Hall, Albuquerque's urban food hall, which offers nine local vendors under one roof. Whether you're craving spicy hot chicken, authentic Mexican street tacos, juicy burgers and fries, comforting Japanese ramen, fresh vegetarian dishes, Detroit-style pizza, or gourmet sandwiches, you'll find it here. Alternatively, if you're just looking for somewhere to grab drinks downtown, Packies and the Moonwalk Bar offer a variety of local beer, wine, and cocktails. But the fun doesn't stop with the food and drinks. Bands of Enchantment is being hosted at the Chemo Theater from September 15th to September 25th. Be sure to stop by the 505 Central Food Hall every night for pre-filming performances from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. To stay up to date with all the special events taking place at the 505 Central Food Hall, such as Albuquerque Art Walk, live musical performances, the All Sick Drag Brunch, and many more, follow them on Instagram at 505 Central. That's a wrap for today's noon shout-out. Make sure you visit the 505 Central Food Hall because life is too short for bland meals and boring evenings. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, Albuquerque's flavors and entertainment await you, located in the heart of downtown Albuquerque at 5th and Central. Casey, thank you so much for joining us on the Noon Podcast today. I appreciate you coming out. Can you go ahead and give me an introduction of yourself? Well, my name is Casey Edwards, and um, I've been a paramedic now for, oh my God, 15 years. I think we're getting close to 16, and uh, it's been a pretty incredible journey being a paramedic. I don't know what else to say beyond that, other than that's who I am. No, that's awesome. Have you ever considered uh, anything else? Actually, I have. Uh, I've ever wanted to do physician assistant, and... I started taking classes, I think back in 2014 or so, just, you know, whenever I could take a class, I would take classes. And I, I actually, you know, I applied and I got interviewed, which was great, but I couldn't get past the interview. Oh, no. the, yeah. So it was pretty frustrating, especially when I left one interview feeling on top of the world, like, yes, I finally did it. And I got an email the next day and I was like, God, darn it. And it was so deflating. It really was. And I was going to do it this year, but I don't have anyone that I can get letters of recommendation from. So that's the hardest thing is getting appropriate letters. Because I know I'd get an interview and not to sound like I'm being boastful, but I, you know, I have a good background that allows me to be, would be, allow me to be a good PA. Yeah, I think that uh, most of the people who, you know, go on to become paramedics and have had some time in the field do or would make appropriate, you know, mid-level providers so that's unfortunate that you weren't able to get those letters. You know, if there's anything that we can do, let us know. And, you know, we can try and help you with that because that's an admirable goal. It's a competitive goal, though. Becoming a PA oh my is God. very competitive. So competitive. And, you know, the youngsters, and I say youngsters because I'm old enough to be their mother, if not their grandmother, you know, <laughs> um, they, they've gone and they've gone overseas and they, they've done all this stuff. And I, I haven't had the time for that because I've been working. You know, I can't just go you know what, I think I'm going to go to Guatemala for a week. It doesn't yeah. <laughs> I can't do that. And so I think that gives them a little bit of an edge or um, some of them have been working in offices where they're doing medical stuff. And uh, for some reason, that seems to maybe be a better draw than being a medic. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm only just guessing. But yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you, be, you know, being willing to help for sure. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's like I said, it's really hard. It's I just got my bachelor's. I had talked briefly about going to PA, but it's very expensive, right? And then if you're in school, you can't work. No. I mean, maybe at best you do a couple shifts a month, you know, where you're like, I happen to have a Sunday free and, you know, but do you really want to do that? (laughs) Well, and I think they look down on that. I really, I think that they prefer that you're not working the entire time you're in school, which also makes it hard. But if, uh, I don't know if you've looked at Yale's program, they offer an online program. I have, but they used to not require uh, a graduate record exam or it was either that or physics. And I haven't taken physics yet, which is like, at what point am I ever going to use that in my PA profession? And so they they added a couple of things that make it where I'm like, uh, because I absolutely suck 
at the GRE, the graduate record exam. Oh my God. Uh, the math portion. Yeah. Oh boy. You know, cause when I learned math, it was very different. And, and now math, math is like the way the GRE is structured. You need to be able to look at a problem and go and just look at it. You don't have to calculate things. You just look at it and know the answer. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're asking me to do here. Right? <laughs> so I made it to the 24th percentile in math. <laughs> oh, wow. I, yeah, I haven't even, I've not taken the GRE, so I don't know how, how hard it is, but four hours of hell, I think, um, like the English and the vocabulary and the writing, no problem. 80th percentile. Good job, AP. But math, man, is that ever a humbling experience? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is rough. And they, I know they offer a lot of classes to help, but again, it's not even worth it for yeah. me to, to be looking because of the not being able to work during mm -hmm. classes is just a not option yeah. for me. No, so. I mean, the only thing you could hope for is one of those, uh, like rural initiatives where they, you know, pay for you to, you know, pay for you after you graduate, you work for them. Are you working currently? I've actually been out. Uh, for a couple of years. I had a back issue. It showed itself during work. I woke up one night for a call, like I stood up and I was like, holy hell, what is wrong with my ash cheek? <laughs> my right butt cheek was on fire and and then my yeah. back and then, and then it traveled down my leg. And so like 20 minutes into the call, I was crying while I was talking to the patient. Wow. And she felt horrible. I'm like, no, 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 it's okay. I, I've got to go home after this, it's okay. And I truly didn't think, you know, that I was going to be out this long, but I ended up having to have a fusion. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So, and I thank God I had that because that's been the best thing ever. It made such a difference. So, well, that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm getting back into it. Of course, now other things have decided to rear their ugly head, like left knee arthritis. And I have Achilles tendonitis in both feet. And I'm like, how did that happen? I was just walking. Like, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you're a hot mess over there. I am a hot mess. <laughs> Is that uh, your back injury? Do you think that it was because of your work? I think that it got triggered by work. When I look at the x-rays and the MRIs, you can see that I have just a little bit of like scoliosis, right? And that was pushing the disc out and pushing on my nerve. So what they did is they went in and not only did they, they kind of straighten things out a little bit, but they made the foramen bigger. So my nerves mm -hmm. didn't have, they didn't have, they weren't stenosed anymore. So they have bigger portals to get through. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. So that's been, like I said, amazing. And I was like, how many nerves do you guys mess around with down there? It's a huge bundle of nerves. Yeah. It's crazy. And I'm just like so grateful that I, I actually ended up having to pay out of pocket because I'm on Medi-Cal and the, I live in a very small community and the doctors up here apparently aren't very good with backs. Because yeah. I was going... I'd go into the office and I'd be laying on the floor because it hurts so much. And they're like, well, we think it's your hip. We think it's your SI joint. We think it's this, we think mm. it's that. And I'm like, what about those bulging discs in the MRI? So after two years of that, two years of that, I had to pay out of pocket and go out of state to get it done. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. So I did, want... did work help cover any of it at all? No, no, I didn't. I didn't do a worker's cough because I didn't do anything that day. We had three calls that day, Sam. And... I have fire, like, you know this, you have firefighters, right? Yeah. And especially in a rural area, you have a lot of volleys. And, you know, I would just go and do my thing with uh, the patient and look at them and go, okay, you know, you guys can take care of whatever else, you know, vitals and all that stuff. I'm going to go talk to these people over here to find out what's really going on. And by the time I turn around, the patient's on the gurney and heading to the ambulance. <laughs> well, that's nice. Yeah, it's great. But I didn't do any lifting. Yeah. And, uh. I didn't want to do workers comp because my neighbor across the way from me, he did workers comp and it was a nightmare for him. And I was like, I don't handle stuff like that real well. Yeah. I know my personality. And if you're an idiot doctor, I'm going to call you out on it. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So I just said, you know what? No, I'm just going to handle it, which may have been a mistake. I don't know, but it's done and I can't change it. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think working working in the field is just so hard on our bodies, you know. And stretchers now are amazing. Oh There's my god, very minimal lifting in yeah. the stretchers that we have now. And then, like you said, if you're in a two tier system or if you're in an area that has a lot of volunteers, then you're generally not lifting hardly at all. Right, I know. And I mean, if, if you asked me to lift a patient on a gurney now, I'd be like, <laughs> "You're kidding me, right?" Like I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, 
Yeah, night before last, actually, we had an issue with our gurney. Uh, when we pulled it out of the ambulance, it actually got stuck and we couldn't get the base to reset. So we had a patient sitting on the gurney and we, both me and my partner, had to manually lift and then have a third person come and lift up the the base to oh, yeah. reset the system. So the whole time the patient's there like, doo-doo-doo, and we're like, sorry. Yeah, that's crazy. And they have no idea. They don't understand, you know, technology. No. They only, they're at that point, and rightfully so, they're selfish, right? Take care of me. Right. Well, and <laughs> so. then at the same time, that's scary, right? Because you stretch us up like four feet, five feet in the air, and they're yeah. sitting on top of it, which makes them like seven feet in the air where their yeah. head is. So that no. can be kind of scary too, but yeah. Definitely, it's scary. And that's one of the reasons why in like the paramedic program, they teach you, they like, you get on the stretcher, we're going to play around with you on the stretcher so that you yeah. know what the patient feels like. Because you have to know what the patient feels like. So it's scary. Yes. You know? Well, if anybody's like me, they have control issues and they were very uncomfortable on the stretcher. Control <laughs> issues? You? Me? No. Yeah, no, not at all. You're crazy. Yeah, not not paramedics, right? No. God. ADD. What is it? How many other acronyms can you throw away, right? Oh, I know. So many. <laughs> so if you're getting back into the working game, right, if that's the plan for you, where where do you ideally see yourself? Well, I'm, I'm looking at, I actually have a job in Oregon, but I had to resign for now because of the health things going on. I was like, I just need to, I need to get well. And I, cause I've been trying, I keep doing that to myself. I keep trying to get back in and it always ends up being too soon. And then my body ends up hurting more than it was before. Yeah. And that's been hard because I'm like, uh, am I ever going to be able to get back into it? You know? And I, I hope so. Um, because it's a good system. They have, you know, the power loading journeys. Now they don't have the lifters yet where you just put it no. in. And it doesn't, no, not yet. But, you know, two people lifting a structure, that's not bad. Um, no, it's not bad. No. And so the wheels fill up automatically, so all you're really doing is just kind of holding it. That's really different than going down to the ground and lifting, right? Um, yes. But I love the protocols there. They're super, um, super advanced, and it's kind of near Portland, Oregon, and they actually have, they have a, a branch that's kind of southeast of Portland, and they have Portland proper, and I'm going to be in the southeast area it's a little lower volume you know i don't want to be running my ass off for 12 hours uh, i'm good with you know five calls now in 12 hours that's a little better yeah that's a that's a little more tolerable not right 18 calls in 12 hours yeah, yeah. no i'm not i used to love that it used to be but that's that's when you first start out you're like kind of a crazy person you know yes <laughs> and you think you can do it all of course and you know it all yes of course. right at the very beginning you get well for me i mean you get humbled really quickly and I still get humbled in my job, you know, um, working in the critical care setting now. It's yeah. still almost every other week I'm learning something new that I didn't know before or changing the way that I thought about something that right. is just amazing. Yeah. And that's something that I had always kind of wanted to get into. But then, I don't know, I just, I guess I'm still just purely 911. I just, that's what I like. And uh, I love Yeah, there's it. nothing wrong with that. No. And I love the knowledge of the critical care paramedic. Like, I love learning that stuff because I can still apply that to what I see, you know. Mm -hmm. And I may not be able to fix it or do anything with it, but I still like knowing that. Like, I'm kind of a junkie that way. Sure. And a medical information junkie, you know. Yeah. I mean, even if you can't practice the critical care, you know, the equipment that we have, you can still use the skills and the yeah. knowledge to help make, you know, treatment differentials for you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And uh, I think I've actually had a couple of calls that directly relate to things that you have learned as a critical care paramedic, you know, because they're, they're really kind of cool. And I love sharing it with people because I still get like a buzz from it. When I talk about it. Yeah. So you look forward and now you know how to treat it, how to, what the things to look for, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's really pretty fascinating. So you, I'm guessing you out there, do they require that you have your bachelor's? No, and California doesn't require that. Uh, Oregon requires a two-year associate, and a lot of, they, ha they have both two-year and four-year paramedic programs at various institutions in Oregon. I don't know them offhand, but I think that's great because I think you get, I mean, for you, you're getting a degree, which is going to be useful, you know, mm -hmm. later on, should you decide to like go on to be PA or nurse or something like that, you have that, that's a step that you have over somebody else. So I think that's good. And then I think that it also gives you more knowledge to help you succeed. Yeah. So Oregon, I think, is is definitely 
and, and I would imagine that Washington State is also like that. California, no, not like that at all. All they want is your money. Yeah. Getting a license in California is like going to the post office at Christmas time, and there's only one worker, and it's it's horrible. That is horrible. Yeah. So, and they also in California they require you to have that ambulance driver's license. So, kind of like a CDL or a Class E or D or A or whatever. Yeah, you take a test, and they give you your license, and you have to have a physical and all that other stuff to go along with it. But they want you to have that if you're going to drive the ambulance. I am like, I'm never going to drive. I think uh, that's another one of my control issues, too, is towards the end of my stay at uh, the ambulance company here, I was taking all the calls. And it's just because you have a lot of responsibility on you, right? So even the most basic of calls, if you missed something and that patient ended up being like critically ill or injured and you missed it, that's going to come down on your license. So for me, and that upset a lot of people, but for me, I was taking all of the calls every single shift. Yeah. And that's probably what I would do too, because I would be like, oh, what are you, you know, what's this, what's going on? And uh, so I always tell my partner, I was like, just so you know, I really like taking calls. So I I hope you like driving. I know. I wish we had the, uh, they just introduced here, not just, but a few years ago, they, um, the people that follow the doctors and they take the notes. Oh, the scribes. Yes, the scribes. I wish we had scribes. How much better would that make your job, though, for real? Like, oh my God, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Because the report writing. <laughs> yeah, the report writing. Okay, I don't care what paramedic school you go to. They do not train you well enough in what you're going to have to deal with with paperwork. No. We don't talk about that at all. Have you ever worked in a hospital setting? Yeah, I have. Okay, so my experience at the ER that I worked for, the charting was kind of a joke. Like, it was the easiest charting I've ever done, ever, in my history as an EMS. Yeah. Oh, 100%. So much easier. And you don't have to write a narrative. No. It's just like, you click some boxes and then... You know, updated vitals at this time every yeah. two hours. Like, yeah, that was, it was the easiest thing. Yeah, and like if you start an IV, it you just go through drop down boxes, and it's super easy. Like, you know, it was good, it was patent. I did this, I did that, I flushed, whatever. You know. Yes, yeah, super easy, super easy. Yeah, and I mean, some of the charting in our field. Oh my God, they're just you're. You're duplicating things. You're saying things, and and that's going to get you in trouble. Someday you're going to miss something. Yes, it may be something as simple as blood sugar, where you say in the drop down it's 107, but then somewhere else you put 170, right? And they're going to like, oh, why right. didn't you start an IV and start giving this person fluids to get their sugar down? Well, it was only 107. Oh, but right here you said 170. You know, and I think that's that's problematic. And I, you know, so I don't know, you know. I, obviously, I don't know what the answer is except going back to paper. Or scribes, right? Yeah, or scribes. on the scribes. <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing like a little gnome just kind of following us, you know? <laughs> that would, having a little portable stenographer would be amazing. Oh, my God. You know, well, then they have some systems, and I don't know where, but they have it where you can dictate. Yeah. I haven't seen any of those for EMS yet. I know that they've, they have them for the doctors. And when they first introduced the dictating, it, like, was really choppy and really not great. I think with the AI movement, we're seeing a lot better uh, results, which is nice. Right. I know. AI. Oh, yeah. That kind of trips me out, the whole artificial intelligence thing. Why? Uh, I don't know. It's just like some of the things I've seen online, you know, of course, they're just like they're, they're generated from the facts that you plug in. Right. And sometimes they're pretty accurate. Other times it's like, what in the world? That's not at all what I meant. Yeah, I think I think as more people practice, it's gonna get better. And I'm I'm all for the AI stuff. I'm like, bring it on! It's gonna make my life easier. It's gonna make everything easier. You know what I mean? I think it'll offer a lot of alternatives for us, and uh, I think will ultimately be beneficial for EMS in the long run. How do you see it being used in EMS, like for just the report writing? I think with re- report writing would be a good way. I also think that if and. I get a lot of controversy over this, but I think using it to help differentiate diagnoses would be a good way of of utilizing it in the field. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can see that, like plugging it in Mm -hmm. and having it kind of like, oh, this is what I'm seeing, right? Okay. I think that's good, but I also think it could be bad depending on who is doing it, right? Sure. If you don't have the right uh, tools, it can be detrimental also. Right. 
and I, yeah, for sure it depends on uh, the provider, right? So if a provider is relying solely on AI, that could be dangerous, right? Uh, yes, that I agree with 100%. Because there are certainly times when, you know, you're like your gut's telling you something, your gut's playing like, ah, and you, you keep resisting it, right? And you shouldn't resist mm-hmm. it because your gut's telling you something that you already know, that you know, you just need to go with it. And I think that AI is not going to have a gut. That makes sense. Yes, it does make sense. And I agree. It can, it can be detrimental if not used correctly. We do depend a lot on our, as you said, our gut feelings. But I think that that would help kind of weed out some of the people that don't have great intuition on um, diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, it could. They have to start early in school, though. Like, they'd have to figure out a way to, I think, but this is my opinion, obviously, to integrate it into the school setting. Right. As you're going through your scenarios and teaching them different things. Mm-hmm. So, which I didn't mention, that's one of the things that I do. I actually help teach at the paramedic program locally. So, oh, nice. Yeah. It's a fun little gig. I get to help teach labs and uh, really challenge them, you know, because they, you know, because like six months into the program, they're like, oh, we know it all. I'm like, no, no, you oh, don't. No. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> and that's why I'm here to throw the random snake fight at you or, you know, or, so it's a, it's a lot of fun. That is fun. I've just, I got my HA instructor cards Good. and my NAMT instructor cards this year. So the goal is to kind of start moving towards more full-time teaching at some point. But right now I'm having so much fun teaching AHA. You would be amazed at the people that come in who have been nurses for years or people who are brand new nurses or brand mm-hmm. new paramedics or whatever. And you're like, I know you have to do this every other year. Like how hard is this really? You know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And I, that's something that's something that I want to get toward as well. Instructor of certifications because I, I like to teach. I think, I think that would be a fun thing to be like a lead instructor somewhere. You know, I'm very content doing labs right now. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but I think that the person who is our lead lab instructor, or excuse me, our lead instructor, she wants to get into uh, people having certifications and whatnot. And I think that'll be a really positive thing for all of us, you know, if we can all get like that. So. And I don't know, I don't know how hard it is out there to get your instructor cards out here. It's feast or famine, you know, you have to have a good connection to get in to get your instructor cards. Yeah. For sure. I don't know that it's that hard out here. Of course, the hardest part is you have to glob on to someone that's an, that's an instructor so then you can, they can watch you and observe you. And I think that's the hardest part, especially where I live, right? Um, you live in Albuquerque, mm-hmm. so you have a big city. You probably have lots of instructors that you can, you know, we don't have that up here. We have it's like- It's not easy. Really? It's still hard up <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, it's hard to get it, yeah. Wow. Okay. I got lucky because I had a, I had a connection um, but before I had reached out to that connection, I was trying to do it mostly on my own and it's, it, well, it's near impossible to get the instructor right. cards. I thought it would be easier because it's hellacious out here because, you know, we're a small town or a small county rather. Right. And you just don't have that many instructors. Yeah. Finding the training center and then the resources to help you that has got to be hard in a small area too. Yeah. I was very lucky last October, I was able to do ACLS. Out and CPR all on the same day. <laughs> That's how I teach it. It's all in one day. Yeah. And it was in Chico, actually. It can be quite good in business if you know where to go and you know uh, who to get contracts with and stuff. It's, yeah. It can be really good. Yeah. I'm actually teaching a class tomorrow and we do, so you're responsible for getting or doing, there's an online portion where you watch all the videos and stuff. And yeah. then when you come into the class, we go over all the skills and the tests and stuff, which makes it super easy. Yeah. That's awesome. Good for you. Thanks. I appreciate I've only taught uh, probably four or five times now, but like I said, I'm having a blast doing it. And the guy that got me in is, is really great and it makes it a lot easier. So it can be kind of nerve wracking when you're up talking in front of people but I think doing the podcast has helped and then uh you know the feedback that I'm getting from the people that I'm teaching is also really good so oh good yeah I'm enjoying it I yeah (laughs) it's been a fun experience and I I, I, you know eventually maybe I'll work into um instructing a, a paramedic class or a basic class or whatever but that's more schooling that I have to go through so yeah and they want you to have that like 40 hour EMS 
instructor, like that's like your baseline course, you know? And it's actually, it's not that expensive. I thought it was going to be super expensive, but I think it was like less than $400 or something like that to register for it. So, but uh, one day, you know, I got enough stuff going on right now. I just want to get my body back. No, that's understandable. And it, it's uh, it's a journey, right? It's a process getting through all of that. It's a journey that I didn't think I was going to be going through at this time. I thought once I got my back fixed, but yeah, quite literally as I was rehabbing, everything else was like, oh, it's our turn now. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Oh, it's okay. I got to I gotta bitch about it every once in a while because I put up, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna hate to say it, put up a brave front because that sounds so cheesy. But, you know, I keep a lot of it to myself. You know, but every once in a while, I got to get it out and just be like, hey, just so you know, I'm going through all this. Yeah, no, it's good to share. And it's good to, again, it's good to be open and talking about how you're feeling, especially if you don't feel necessarily yourself for the day. There's nothing wrong with sharing, especially if you're a vocal person. Like I tend to be, I tend to be a little more vocal and I try to, I let people know how I'm feeling when I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got yeah. You. So what are you doing in your free time now? Mostly what I'm doing is walking my dog and working out. Good. You know, I, and of course now I'm getting, I'll be getting ready for the upcoming academic session, which will be good. But yeah, I do that. Um, I've been taking some trips and doing photography because that's also, that's my main hobby. I've seen some of your pictures. They're gorgeous. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. What, uh, what yeah. kind of camera are you using? Well, uh, right now I'm using a Canon the 70G and I got it in 2015 but I just recently bit the bullet and let me tell you this is a big bullet to bite but I just got a new camera a new to me rather and a new to me lens and it was uh it was a tidy thumb but I decided to switch brands to Sony um because their cameras are out of this world they're just they're phenomenal cameras and so yeah, um, I'm looking forward to learning that. I'm doing a little bit of photography myself just for fun, but I use my phone yeah. and I have to tell you that some of the pictures that come out of my phone are pretty good too. Yeah. Oh no, 100%. The iPhone is a great camera or yeah, sounds weird to say the iPhone is a great it camera. It has a great camera. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, it does. It takes some really, really cool pictures. I don't think I'll take it any more seriously than that. I'm having a lot of fun learning it though. Well, good. This has been... Probably one of the coolest hobbies I've done is podcasting. I'm having a lot of fun. That's, yeah, you seem really happy. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a full-time gig that the people that have gotten to meet and talk to, it's very humbling. It's very humbling. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I'm glad that you got to join us today. Yes, me too. I've been wanting to do something like this for a long time. Like I said, but, uh, I think I would definitely need to have a lot of help with that you know like you have yes i have tyler and then i have my wife who does so much on the side for me too it, it and then on top of working a full-time job it's a lot but it's again it's something i choose to do and i am just glad that the people that are working with me are helping me do it <laughs> yeah i'm lucky in the job that i have now where it's like my schedule is two on two off five on five off so every other week i have five days off oh god can i come work for you Jesus. sir we're hiring Oh my God, that sounds amazing. <laughs> the schedule's 12 hour shifts. So I'm home yeah. almost every night, you know? Yeah. So the five on must be kind of rough, though. It can be. Towards the end, it can get pretty uh, exhausting. Yeah. And it's not okay. like we run, we're not like, it's not like the ambulance, right? We're not running a bunch of flights. So we're averaging right now between two and three flights per shift. Okay. And we tend to stay local to the state. Every once in a while, we'll we'll reach out to, you know, Arizona, Texas, and Colorado. But mostly, they try to keep us in the state um, so that we can help, you know, the people here. But the vibrations of the plane and then the altitude oh, yeah. that you're climbing at, it can be quite uh -huh. exhausting. Yep. I had a friend that was uh, on the helicopter in um, in Colorado. Um, yeah, she would say, yeah, it's exhausting to be on that on the helicopter, you know. Even if you have like false alarms, and you, but you get in the air and you, you know, you, you do an air standby, right? Yeah. So he was like, oh God, it's exhausting, you know? Yeah. And so. I don't even fly, I fly fixed wing only and it's, it's the same. Like you just, the takeoff, the landings, the, the vibrations, you're dehydrated the entire time you're up in the air. You can't pee whenever you need to. Like, yeah, it can, it can be pretty exhausting but it's fun I, I really love the critical care side of it right you're learning so much too like mm -hmm. it's crazy how much knowledge you have in that little brain of yours <laughs> it is quite little i don't know if you can just suck my hair 
So in all of your time in the field, because you've been in the field for quite a while now, what would you say has been probably your most favorite call? Some of my best calls are the ones that I think were the most challenging, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this one is very early. I was actually when I was in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we went to this call and the guy was, the woman called because she thought her husband was having a stroke. And understandably so, because he was following her around the house. He wasn't talking. He was just walking with her. Wherever she went, he would go. Oh. And then, yeah, I know. And then he was like opening the refrigerator and the freezer and looking in it, but then closing it. And I was like, this is weird. But he, would, he wouldn't let me touch him. He was super agitated. Uh, we finally, you know, we were able to talk and couldn't really tell if he was understanding us. We had the cops come. And because he was former military, apparently he was a colonel or something like that. He listened to them because they were in a uniform. Not that I wasn't in a uniform, but they were in like, they had a gun and everything. So for whatever reason, he got on the stretcher and I was like, I really got to check his sugar. And that was fun because he tried biting me. Oh my goodness. And he was like in his 70s. Anyway, I finally got the sugar and of course it said low. And I was like, oh, oh it's definitely not a stroke. Give him some sugar. Oh, starting an IV on him. They had to hold his arm down for and his body, right? I got the IV, got the sugar in, back to the hospital. And then about 15 minutes later, I walked in to see how he's doing, you know? And he's like, did I do anything? to you and I said you mean besides trying to bite me <laughs> he goes oh my god did I try to bite you and I'm like yeah you tried to bite me and you tried to hit me too and he's like oh my god I'm so sorry I'm so sorry. <laughs> did he have history of diabetes yeah he did and so he was looking in the refrigerator he was looking for food but he didn't he couldn't articulate that yeah he couldn't make the connection so it was a very interesting um I think you know like aspect of it right because he knew like his brain was telling him hey go get some freaking food right but he couldn't get past that it was very interesting and the nicest thing about it was they wrote a very nice letter to um, oh that to is the company, nice. and i have that somewhere still in my file because it was one of the first letters i never got and it, that's so that call was memorable because of that it was like the first time i'd ever gotten like that kind of recognition sure know? and it was like oh that is sweet so, yeah, so that was, I think, one of my most, like, favorite calls because he was so nice afterwards. And then, and as you know, most sugar patients that do it, they're always nice afterwards. They're, like, yes, that's one of the best part about hypoglycemic patients or patients with low sugar is that it's such an easy fix. It's such an easy fix, and they're always so helpful, and you're like, now, you can stay here, but you got to eat in front of me, right? Like, yeah. I think every protocol across the country is like, as long as they eat in front of you. <laughs> Yes. Give them that, even if it's a peanut butter on a, on a piece of bread, you know. I don't, yeah, just something. But yeah, I had, like, in another sugar call I had, she's in her 30s, and I don't even know where I want, but she was unconscious on the floor, but she was fighting us. Like, she was unconscious, but she was fighting. I've never seen female so strong in my life. But her sugar was, like, only 45, and I had to give her glucagon because I couldn't give her anything. Yeah, you can't stick no, my favorite part of this call is she wakes up and she's like, I said, hey, I go, you know, said I had to give you glucagon. And she's like, ah, fuck. Now I got to go to the hospital. I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah, no, especially here in New Mexico, this is an issue. People who run like, so the normal sugar varies by, you know, location, but average between 60 and 100. And some of the people out here in New Mexico run like 170, 200 as a normal and when they're hitting that hundred, they're starting to act abnormal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then you're like, what's going on? And of course the people that love them don't necessarily understand what's going on. Yeah, right? and unless they're really, really close. And it's even then it's hard to, they just see them, it, you know, it presents as like a stroke. Like you were saying, the, the wife thought yeah. that the husband was having a stroke because she didn't know what else it could have been because he was acting abnormally. <laughs> right, and I I couldn't test the first joke because he didn't he didn't want anything to do with me. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't lift his arms, he wouldn't stick out his tongue, he wouldn't do any of that stuff. So I mean, you know, what are you gonna do? And and another memorable sugar call I have. I hope I don't bore you with these, but not at all. Forgot where I was at. I might have been Colorado because we did some Kaiser stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I go to a to a, to a transfer, which I don't even remember what it came out as, but I was like, okay, so we just kind of tootle on over there, no big deal. And the doctor's telling me. Uh, all the different differentials that she wants this guy tested for, right? I'm like, these, I'm reading them. I'm like, I don't even know what these things are, right? Like, okay, let me go see him. So I go see him. He's, he's alert. He's talking to me. He is sweating profusely. Oh. Like, 
actively sweating, diaphoretic, right? So I get on the ambulance and said, let me check your sugar. 38. Oh, okay. goodness. Not that low. He was alert and talking to me, but he's like, I've just been in a brain fog like all day. I can't get out of it. And it would wax and wane. So like as he ate, after he ate, he would feel better. That's when I was like, oh, let me check your sugar. Right? Yeah. Interestingly, we got into the hospital. His sugar like he plummeted like three times. So I think they ended up admitting him because they were like, what's going on? This guy never had a history of diabetes. Yeah. And now his like, well, pancreas is throwing out too much insulin. <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. I'm like, well, he's got something now. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So those calls are like, they're always meaningful because every single one of them is different. Yes. And and sometimes they come in the form of anybody else who maybe just done a transfer and just taking this guy up, take his vitals, take him to the hospital, no big deal, right? Yeah. As soon as I gave him the sugar, he was like, oh my God, I feel so much better. I'm like, I bet you do. So fun fact about glucagon, if somebody has something lodged in their esophagus have you heard of this yeah it's not very well known but if there's something lodged in the esophagus you can use it as a smooth muscle dilator or relaxer and uh it helps pass that piece of meat or whatever is stuck there yeah i've never had that as a protocol option i think if i were to if i was far away and i could call a doc it probably would say go ahead and do it right that kind of thing (laughs) Uh, but i i I don't know that for sure but yeah i've known that about glucagon and Okay, fun fact number two about glucagon. Did you know you can use it at a phylaxis in place of epinephrine? Yes, I have heard of that. Yes. 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 Again, not something I've seen in local protocols, but it is no. an interesting uh, pathophysiology. Yes. And I think it's the people that say I'm allergic to epinephrine and they're like, really? <laughs> and, but it's, it's a thing. It's not the epi per se. It's the blood derived from, right? It's either that or it's from the topper because the toppers are made of latex. I don't know. Are they really? Yes, which is I did insane. not know that. Okay. Yeah, on a lot of medications on the, the bottles, on the toppers, yeah. there's latex used to make that repairing rubber. So people oh, were having reactions okay. and they didn't understand why they were having reactions and it was because they were sticking the medication and then not changing the needle. They were using the same needle to, to give an injection. Gotcha. Oh, okay. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Well, that's good. I'm going to keep that in my little Rolodex of information, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> so last night, my wife was asking how I knew you. And so I was. Ex- I told her, we worked for the same company, except I worked in Las Cruces and you were in Alamo. And they had asked if anybody wanted to work on the set of Transformers. And I was yes. like, hell yes. I'm going to go do that. And I told my wife, I was like, Sam, I'm going to go meet Megan Fox. And I'm sorry, but she's going to love me so much that I'm going to have to leave you. So just understand that I'm going to be leaving you for Megan Fox tomorrow. And she was like, whatever, Sam. So (laughs) the morning that I was going to be driving to El Magordo, there was this huge, huge semi truck that got into an accident and it was hauling do you remember this no it was hauling yeah it was hauling cattle and it crashed so like there were dead cows everywhere there were live cows everywhere running all over it caused a huge delay on the freeway it was like a four or five it could have even been longer like a six hour delay on the freeway oh my gosh so i was in traffic trying to get to alamo and they ended up having to send the local crew to the standby so when i went to with you guys i was just running a 911 truck with you guys for the day and i was so upset that's right i remember yeah (laughs) i had to drag my feet coming back (laughs) dang it oh my god (laughs) i remember i think talking with you outside of the ambulance Uh and it was like it was in the evening and it was super hot we were talking about all manner of things yeah, it was interesting. You know, I have, a, I have, I try not to have regrets, right? But I do have some. I have a couple uh, that I'm like, God damn it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What, one of those I wish that I had been such a nomad because uh, I've been, I mean, it's been great because I've seen a lot of different things. But by the same token, I haven't let myself stay in one place very long, <laughs> right? And I'm kind of dealing with that issue now. I was going to have a hard time moving up to Oregon. And I just came down here. I had this great little house and I rent. You know, I love my neighbor. So I wish that I had stayed in New Mexico and stayed put because I left and then I came back and I ended up working for Los Cruces for a little while. Then I left again. So it's just been, I've just been there. Some people are all about that kind of lifestyle. You know, some people need a lot of people and some people don't need any people. And it's, 
I think if you're realizing it now, you have the ability to fix that issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm doing is just stay in put right now and uh, we'll see what happens. See what comes. Well, good. So yeah. now that we've talked about the good calls, have, do you have any um, of your worst calls or bad calls that you feel comfortable sharing? Oh yeah. So I want to preface this by saying, I think one of the things that I'm really lucky to have is the ability to like compartmentalize things, right? Um, and it's not that I put them away and, and, and don't deal with them. I, I just don't really need to deal with things, if that makes sense. Because it's part of my job. It's what I'm supposed to do, right? And, and I don't have kids. So like if I get a kid call, it doesn't bother me to the same extent that somebody else that has children does. And you've seen that. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. They get so they can get really torn up by that, and sometimes they even leave the field because they're like, nope, you know, and that's really sad when that happens. But yeah, the calls that I've had that I are quote unquote bad, they don't, they just don't affect me in the way that maybe it affects other people. Sure. So I'm very fortunate that way, I think. So I think one of the worst calls I went on was in Oregon. Uh, I don't know about five years ago, and we were heading out. It was so far away. This place was like 25 minutes away, and we were driving. We were home, but Right, and the guy came out as uh, suicidal ideation, but then the firefighters got there and they were like, "How far out are you?" And I'm like, "Oh shit!" Right? <laughs> oh um, no! Because <laughs> that went from in my head that went from suicidal ideation to suicide. Yeah. Right. No, and it was in this little town. I can't remember the name of it, but it wasn't a town that had a lot of money. You know, it's people that are kind of down on their luck. And this gentleman lived in like a studio kind of house, studio apartment, whatever, and. He had called 911 and he said, I'm just letting you know, I'm going to kill myself with a knife. And he hung up. And he did. And he not only sliced through one side of his neck, he had the wherewithal to slice through the other side too. Wow. That takes a lot of effort. I I don't think I've ever seen so much blood oh. at a scene. I mean, he was, he was done. There was no, there was no like, let's try doing CPR. No, it was none of that. You could see his trachea, you could see everything. Yeah. And it was very sad. And I found out that he was a Navy veteran and I think he might've had cancer. I'm not sure. So he was kind of just taking the, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to suffer. I'm just going to do this and be done with it. Right. Yeah. So that was, I think as far as like gruesomeness, that had to be one of the most gruesome calls that I've ever run. And, uh, you know, it was sad. Yeah, no. And it sounds, it sounds callous and I'll explain why, but I'm kind of glad that he was successful in his uh ventures because that that makes it hard when they're not successful and they are actually trying oh, yeah so i had a young i had a young guy very similar he decided he was going to cut his throat i what an intense way to go right so he he actually started out um just under his his ear and he got all the way to about middle and we think he passed out and mom found him fairly quickly Oh, wow. Quick enough to put pressure and call 911, and he survived. And his quality of life was not great. I mean, he he was not functioning. He didn't have enough oxygen or blood to his brain to maintain a a normal function. So he was contractured. He, terrible. All that from, you know, a suicide attempt and was trying to be successful and was not successful. So that can that can be pretty unfortunate for the people that actually try. Yeah, I've run on you know not a, not a ton, but I had you know some interesting suicides. I had one that was helium. You, you put a bag over your head and you secure it, and and you had a bottle of helium that you can rent at any grocery store or whatever that does balloons, right? Uh-huh. And it just it flows into the bag, and you you slowly die uh, ostensibly. But I have heard that it's not necessarily a painless death. So um, I, I don't know. Uh, all I know is that the guy that I ran on, he had his feet and he had his hands tied. Like he already tied him and then he turned, somehow turned on the tank. I know. I was like, that um, almost sounds was, like a murder and not a suicide, but that's I, pretty nuts. No, I, yeah. Because they came in, the police were like, just, we're just, war- just warning you. This is what you're going to see. I'm like, okay. Again, I don't have. It's, it's very easy for me to go to these calls. Um, yeah. And I don't know if it's because I watch forensic files on a loop, but I, <laughs> you're laughing. It's true, though. I watch I know. <laughs> well, I'm laughing because I think a lot of us watch the, like, the true yeah. crime stuff, you know, and I, I, won't, I won't agree that it makes it easier. You know, I think right. that I think that my job has made it easier to see these things. Sure. And then 
we have to laugh about the stupid shit, you know, because that makes us feel better. So I'm not laughing at the situation. I'm laughing that I can understand where you're at right now, you know? Well, I mean, obviously, I, I understand why you're laughing, and, and it's just, that's what we do, right? Yeah. Um, it's like I, I ran on another suicide. You'll love this one. That's so bad to say that, but we, we pull up, and there's a, just a shit ton of cops, right? And, uh, and, of course, the neighbors are out, and it was like it was like a small little apartment complex, and it had sidewalk in between and there's two buildings on either side and as I'm walking I notice you know there's windows right with screens and like that's interesting no no flies on that one no flies on that one no about a million flies on the other the door the window to this guy's house I uh, that part so now that part mortified me more than what I thought I was yeah. like oh, that's just I can't can't do uh, <laughs> there's too like many that. And so, of course, I walk in and uh, I look at him, and he still had the weapon, the gun in his hand. It was down on my. And I said, I said, oh, he's got a gun. Well, you know what that means. The police officers that are all behind me, every single one of them drew. I didn't know this. The partner told me, like, did you know that every single officer behind you drew when you said gun? And I was like, really? It's just that trigger. <laughs> it's a trigger for them. Right. Like, that was. It made me happy, though, because that's what I want my cops to be. I want them to react. I don't want them to be like, hmm, maybe she's just kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was a fly. Like, and so then we finished, you know, and, and we go in the back end. And I said, hey, partner, I go, what do you want for lunch? Like, I mean, that's how we handle it, right? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I think we could go get some Chipotle. I'm like, okay, I'm down. And yeah, you move on, right? You have to. But if you let it get to you, you're not going to be in the field very long. No. And it's not yeah. to say that it makes you weak or anything no. like that. It just, it is what it is. You know, right. some people can do better than others. And yeah, it, you know, it's people like you who've been in EMS for a long time because you are able to, to kind of separate yourself and, and get it figured right. out and move on. But hopefully, you know, that doesn't eventually come back and bite you in the butt either. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it will. I mean, I, I can remember visually, I have a very good imagination, right? So I can picture all these patients in my head right but i'm just like oh yeah i remember that call oh yeah you know and i just kind of okay so i feel very mentally healthy uh, in other words that's good that's good no it's good i think that's hard for some people to find and like i said it, it's good that you that you're able to to figure out that disconnect and to separate yourself one of the uh this was a suicide call that i went on to and the wife called us because her and her sister or her friend or whoever they decided to go out grocery shopping for the day and when they got back like three hours later they found a note from the husband saying that he was sorry and that he loved her and he was he was gonna off himself so they looked for about an hour and they couldn't find him so they called 911 the way that it had come through was the the gentleman had had cancer so they called the um, hospice system that he was with and hospice calls 911. So we're getting a lot of third party information. We're not, we don't really understand what's going on. We just know that there's a suicidal patient, but we don't know if he's on the scene or not. And uh, when we rolled up, I just got that feeling like something's fucked up here. Something's not right. And we walk up and the wife tells us what's going on. So we'd left the stretcher. We left everything outside just to kind of to walk around and see if we could figure out what was going on. We got there before the cops because it came in again as like, not really sure what's going on, but after about 15 minutes of searching the backyard, when you walk out the door and you look straight ahead, you couldn't tell that it was a two-level backyard. So until you actually walk a little bit into the yard, you see some stairs that went downstairs, uh, like it was like six stairs to a second level of the backyard. Oh, okay. And when you walk down the stairs, right to the left, he was sitting on the ground. He had pulled out a plastic sheet and then sat down on the plastic sheet and he shot himself in the head. Oh um, God. So we found him on this plastic sheet and then we had to tell the wow. wife and we had to get PD there and he wow. still had the weapon. Yeah, it was, and it was pretty, yeah. pretty fresh. It was interesting. It was one of those like, how does this happen? You know, how did, how yeah. did he not get found for so long? But I, and you, when you think of the yard, imagine how it would have been hard yeah. to find him like that because yeah. when you look outside, you don't see anything. But it was an interesting one for sure. And I, I wonder if he did that purposefully so that the wife and you said the daughter, remember, 
would not find him. Yeah, they would not find him in that condition. I wonder if that was sort of a like a premeditated kind of situation. Uh, it was definitely premeditated, but I don't think it was so that he wouldn't be found because he went out of his way to put the plastic sheet down. You know what I mean? So I think he did it right there just because maybe he didn't want to leave a big mess, you know, and the further out he was, if something did happen, it was mostly in the dirt and you know what I mean? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's so sad when that happens. So sad. It is sad. Yeah, no, I agree. And then you had talked about earlier the amount of blood that you've seen. I think the most blood loss I've seen was on a, a lady who had a dialysis fistula. And yes. Oh, yeah, my God. For, yes. for people who don't know what a dialysis fistula is, for people whose kidneys don't work, um, they have yes. a, they have to have a thing put in their arm that connects a vein to an artery so that they can filter out the blood manually doing what the kidneys do. And uh, this lady's fistula, her family member who was picking her up to take her to dialysis found her and called 911. And you could kind of, the way the like scene was, you could track what had happened. So she was getting ready in the bathroom and her fistula, she either hit it on the table or it popped or whatever. And you could see her walk over to where the towels were. She grabbed a towel, put pressure, she walked over to the bed, right? And her bed, like the end of her bed, the end of her bed, so the foot of her bed, and from the foot of her bed was probably about five to six feet, and there was a TV on top of a table. Well, she sat in front of the TV, and she was putting pressure, but she wasn't putting enough pressure, and ultimately ended up passing out because of the blood loss. Well, after she passed out, her arm... <laughs> This is so messed up. Her arm was pointed at the TV. So when it started spurting after she passed out, there were blood spots on the TV six feet away, leaving this little trail. It was nuts, dude, but she was insanguinated. So she had lost all of her blood and there wasn't anything that we could do for her at that point. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. Yeah, it was nuts. I um, I had a similar call that the person lived. So we were like 45 minutes out of Portland in this little tiny town, got the call for bleeding patient. Okay, get there. And she had a fistula, but it was uh, had just been implanted like almost a month ago. And I don't know why they did it when they did it, because it made putting pressure and stuff very difficult, but it was like in her armpit-ish area. That is weird. I know. So I walk in and I was like, oh, I looked at my turn around, I looked at my partner, I was like, hey, would you go ahead and launch the helicopter? Because I'm not transporting this. I, there's, I can't. I can't put enough pressure on that during transport. 45 minutes? Are you crazy? So yeah. I was like, nope. Helicopter, 10 minutes, we're done. Uh, she ended up being released like the next day. You know, obviously they showed it, whatever. But I was like, what a weird ass place to put one of those because you can't like put a tourniquet. No, and it's constantly moving. Yeah. This thing. And I, like I said, like you said, it looked like, a, like yours was like almost truly a murder scene. That's a lot of blood. Uh, five yes. to six meters, right? That's too much. Mine wasn't like that, but it was still enough for, she was pale. And I was like, no, no, I'm not driving this. I mean, I literally walked in, went, uh, within five seconds, I walked in, turned around and went, it's, 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 little, little helicopter. <laughs> I wonder how they held pressure. And because the, the fistulas are so frail, you have to be so careful with them. But my mm -hmm. first thought would be in that area, my first thought would be to get a tennis ball and use the yeah, tennis ball a good with, idea. with a pressure wrap. Um, we just so did I wonder a, what that flight team did. Well, we did a shit ton of towels, and I think we actually got it under control. But I was like, even if we did get it under control, I still don't feel comfortable transporting someone like that because it could happen again. You sure. don't know. And we also don't know how much blood she's losing in the towel, right? Yes. And I'm like, so I was like, you know, let's just get her there, and then if she needs blood, they can give her blood, right? Perfect. That's a safe place to do it. It's not. This was not an ambulance ride. Yes. It sounds like it was a smart decision. <laughs> oh, I mean, she was pale. And I was like, nope. But you know, the other call that bleeds a lot too. And I did not know this until I saw it for the first time. And I haven't seen it since. But varicose vein? Oh, yes. I did not know that. And it was yes. like, I, it's like walking into a murder scene on that as well. You're just like, ow, what the? Ow. And my partner was old. He was like 25 years in. He's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, varicose veins. And I'm like, what? Yeah, no, you scratch one of those and it they will bleed. And they bleed for a long time, too. They don't stop. Yeah, 
Oh, apparently this guy had one that was like under pressure. I don't know if that's like a special kind of varicose vein, but it, no, like there was blood everywhere. It shot out from his leg. That's why they can be real scary when they're in the esophagus, right? For drinkers or oh, people yeah. who have uh, acid yes. reflux problems. They, oh, those yeah. can pop and, and that's real bad. That's usually not a, not a good outcome. No, it's not a good outcome. Um, yeah, I ran on a guy that had esophageal cancer and he got called for, you know, I don't know what he got called for, but bleeding or something. And they had already sucked out 600 cc's of blood. And I was like, and they had like a regular suction thing like you see in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Come to find out the guy was terminal, you know, all that stuff. But getting him to put oxygen on, he, it's not, I can suction him, but he, you know, there wasn't much I could do. Fortunately, the hospital was very short drive away. Yeah. But apparently he wasn't a very nice patient. So it did a lot of flipping off of the nurses and stuff like oh, that. Oh, goodness. Yeah, no, he was, he was special. So, I mean, when, when you're that age, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, and you're terminal and you've got tumors. Like, just knock me out. Let me, you know. Yeah, <laughs> let, it, let him do whatever he wants to do. <laughs> as long as he's not hurting anybody, he's fine. Yeah, he's not like. So do you have any other calls that are just, you can't oh, even, yeah. like, make it up? No, I don't really have anything like that. Uh, I mean, I mean, I had those two calls that I wanted to tell you about with the sure. talk when we were talking about, like, critical care stuff. Yeah. So, so this was another Kaiser call. And I get there, they're almost closed, and this guy had gone in, and he said, I'm having a hard time breathing. Doctor's like, okay, so they do chest x-ray, they do EKG, they do walking SPO2, right? Exertional SPO2, I guess, and all this other stuff. And doctor's giving me a report. He's like, I can't find anything on this guy. He keeps complaining that it's difficulty breathing. I put on the oxygen, it didn't help. I'm like, okay, you know. Well, so how, here's how the guy was breathing. So what's, you know what Kuth falls, right? It, yes. It wasn't quite like that it was more like this rhythmic breathing but not but kind of shallow so just like not not super deep not super fast just like that right so we're walking him out and i said hey i go you know what health problems do you have talking to him he's like well i'm a diabetic no oh, okay i said you do your insulin today or do you do insulin he's like oh, i didn't do my insulin today because i was going to go to the doctor i don't i don't understand the connection between the two but yeah <laughs> So, of course, I look at my partner. I'm like, make sure we get a sugar when we get in the race, yeah. right? They get a sugar. It's like almost 500. I'm like, oh, goodness. Oh, okay, well, I think I know what's going on with you. But, you know, he's still complaining and having a hard time breathing. And I was, this was something I had, I, I learned in the process of doing, you know, this is how I learned this. And I was like, well, I guess I could put you on oxygen too. But I said, you know what? I said, let me put you on in title mm-hmm. oxygen. Okay. So, you know how monitors are kind of slow like they first give you a number and you're like that's not the real number i need to wait like 30 seconds for it to kind of get going yes so the first the first number i got was nine that's not even good quality cpr no it is not (laughs) it's not and it stayed at nine and i was like well fuck me i know exactly what's wrong with you and i looked at him i said i know exactly what's wrong with you he's like can you fix it and i was like no i can't fix it and he's like, why not? And I told him, I said, basically, there's a lot of stuff wrong with you, and only the hospital can fix you because they're going yep. to need to draw blood, and it has nothing to do with oxygen. And the reason you're having a hard time breathing is because your brain has taken over. Like in a different, I said a different section of your brain has taken over, right? You can't, you can't override that. It's just no. going to be like, I said, I mean, I'm very sorry that you're feeling that, and I would not want to be in your position, but you're just going to have to wait it out, right? So, and I love that call because I went into St. Joseph's Hospital and I took my little rhythm strip and it had nine for the end title, you know, and I just held it up. And she goes, okay then. That was my report. <laughs> that, was, that was my bedside report initially. It was like, here's your problem. You know, so I'm assuming that they fixed it and he went on his merry way at some point. But I, I imagine he got admitted for a couple of days. Well, if not intubated also. Yeah, I mean, he was like, everything else about it was fine. Color was good. Everything was great, but... So I'm like, oh, we'll just get him to the hospital to see, right? You know, um, and then the other one I had that was very similar was this young teenage girl, and she was screaming at the top of her lungs, screeching that she couldn't breathe. Well, you're screaming, so. <laughs> well, I, took, I was like, I was like, you're screaming. I'll go, you're breathing. She's like, no, I'm not. And finally, I said, I can't help you if you're not going to stop screaming. Like, you need to stop screaming, right? So again, check her sugar. It was high same kind of thing and I told her I said there's nothing that I could do you know get you to the hospital 
me doing a, a preemptive innovation wasn't gonna that was never gonna fly. No. Yeah. So and she didn't need it, right? She's holding her own. But I mean it was still the same thing. I think her entitle was fourteen. And I'm like, God, this is and it was just to me it's such a cool thing to have gotten to see it not only once but twice. And to have that like that is the weirdest thing, people complaining of things that aren't related to what they're complaining about. I'm having a hard time breathing. Well, you're fatting at ninety nine percent, your lungs now look clear, your quality looks great, you know, whatever. And so on, on the first one, I actually got to call the doctor and tell him what I found. And he was so happy and amazed that that was the issue because they didn't do end title at that Kaiser. Yeah. So he was like, we don't get to do that here. And uh, so <laughs> that's something that I don't understand, like why Kaiser says you can't do certain things, but whatever. It is what it is, right? That's not for no, me. Every, every place is different, unfortunately, you know? Yeah. So those are the kind of the two calls that I thought were, from an educational standpoint, they were amazing to me because I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Like, you know, and it's something that I can't fix, but I know exactly what's going to happen in the hospital. Yeah, you were able to recognize it and better explain to the patient what's what's in store for them coming up. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's a lot, and I, I, even I don't know all of it, but I know that your your pH is off, and that's going to be affecting your electrolytes, and I just you know. And I don't know what else. So, everything <laughs> it affects everything. <laughs> I know. I'm so I'm so glad I'm not a diabetic. God damn. Yeah. Oh, I know. You. Oops. That's oh. rough. That is that is a rough disease to have. Um, I was just going to ask, kind of on a final note, is there any um, advice that you would give to newer paramedics or newer EMTs coming into the field? Huh. Yeah, the, the biggest thing I can think of is that, you know, when you first get into the field, uh, sometimes you're going to be on a, like, a, before you get into the 911 system, you might be on a transfer rig, you know, which, you know, nobody really likes transfers, especially at that level, right? If it's, yes. You want to, you want to do 911, you're ready to go 911, and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you need to work here for six months doing this, right? Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I can say is, to really treat that patient as if it was a 911, as if you're going to do it, you need to do an assessment and you need to do vitals and, and do the, do your assessment and work on your skills, right? Hone your skills for assessing and, and, uh, you know, doing vitals with an actual blood pressure cuff in your ear, listen for lung sounds and try to find things like, why is this patient being transported? What can I find? Right? Doesn't mean you're going to treat it. This means just learn from each patient because every patient is going to come with a set of papers and all their vitals and all their labs on there. And that's a treasure trove of information. Yes. You know, you might find like, God, their sodium is really high and their potassium is really low. Well, that's probably why they're all fucked up, right? Yeah. But if you just take it like, oh, we're just going to transfer you, you know, and you don't learn from it, then you're not going to be prepared for the 911. Right. I agree with that. That is a that is a great piece of advice. I tell people, you know, in, not necessarily enjoy it, but that's how you learn um, yeah. a lot of the disease pathophysiologies, right? So you get to see what people could be or what you might find in the field when you're working these 911 calls. And you get to see the treatment and the testing that they perform on these patients. Right, right. And I think it's it's really helpful for like those times when I was doing Kaiser transfers, right? Because they come out as pretty benign. Very rarely was it like a code three Kaiser transfer, you know? Um, every once in a while it was, and those were fun, of course. Uh, but most of the time they weren't. But I'm like, no, it's like, like that guy with the high, with the low sugar. He was just sweating. I could have blown that off. I didn't need to check his, I didn't need to check his sugar, right? But I did because that's what, you know, I, I wanted to do, I learned to do that. Like you need to assess your patient, right? So yes, yeah, def definitely that. And also taking as many classes as you can that are, you know, anatomy and physiology, of course, and biology and all those classes and, and make yourself a very well-rounded EMP medic, you know, whatever one you choose. So then if you decide to go on to nursing or like you critical care or PA or whatever, you have that background. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great advice. Um, Casey, do you have anything else that you want to throw in there before we let you go? I can't think of anything at the moment. No, I certainly had fun. And you know, I like to talk down. So, you know, you have to definitely put the put the kibosh on, on <laughs> at some point. It's all good. That's uh, It's great for the podcast. Everybody loves hearing other people talk. So I think thank you so much for coming out today and for giving us a couple hours of your time and 
Yeah. Uh, I had a really good time. The conversation was great. It's been a long time since I've talked to you, so it was nice catching up. But 15 some odd years since I talked to you, huh? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Feel free to uh, reach out if you ever need anything, okay? Okay, definitely. And let me know when this is airing so I can uh, I can get a listen. I will. Thank you so much. And uh, if you're okay with it, then I will tag you in the post. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, for when I make the announcement. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Casey. Thank you so much. I hope you have a good day. Okay, you too. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Bye, Casey. Bye. Thank you for listening. Before we wrap up, we have a few important announcements to share with you. Firstly, we're excited to announce the launch of our brand new 911 Nonsense Facebook group page. It's a community where everyone can go to connect, share ideas, discuss topics from the show, and get all of the most recent updates about the podcast. We'd love to have you join us and be part of the conversation. Next, we want to ask you to rate and review our podcast on your preferred platform. Your feedback means the world to us and helps us reach a wider audience. By rating and reviewing the show, you'll be supporting us in a big way and helping others discover 911 nonsense. If you enjoy what we do and would like to support the podcast even further, we have a few options available. You can visit samspursuit.com to find the links to our 911 nonsense merch page and our recently released noon gear page. Every contribution, no matter the size, goes a long way in helping us continue to better the podcast. We know that not everyone is comfortable being on the podcast, but we still want to hear your stories and experiences. If you have a compelling story and would like to share it to be read by me in a future episode, please reach out to us via email at 911nonsense at gmail.com or through our website's contact section. If you choose to be anonymous, we'll make sure to respect your privacy while sharing your story in a way that resonates with our audience. Thank you again for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and look forward to bringing you more engaging content in the future. See you next week.